Hey, good morning. And uh, welcome to River Glen. Great to see you. River Glen's one church. We meet in many locations. And so uh, would you join me here in Waukesha? Let's give a big hand to everybody over in Pewaukee. And those of you watching online, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us uh, for church. And happy Mother's Day weekend. Uh, to all of you, appreciate all the moms and the sacrifices that you make, and we don't say thank you enough and, and how grateful uh, we are uh, for you. Here's my little uh, public service announcement. If we have some kids in the room, we got some kids watching on, on, online, uh, do something nice for your mom today or whoever is in the mom role in your uh, life. Clean your room, give them a hug. Uh, write a a card, uh, step it up uh, for her uh, today. That's my little uh, public service announcement for all the kids. Well, we're in week number three of a series called Big uh, Questions. These are big questions. We looked at surveys and compiled a list of the top questions that people have, like you and me, about God, faith, and the Bible that sometimes causes us uh, to get stuck in our faith. And so first weekend, we addressed the question, why do people get stuck? in their faith. And then last weekend, is everything in the Bible uh, true? Next weekend, uh, we're going to talk about are all uh, religions equal? And I hope you'll come back for that. But this weekend, uh, here's a question we're going to talk about. If if church is full of hypocrites, uh, why would I want to join? And uh, here's my short answer, because you'll fit right in. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. But in some ways, I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. It really comes down to how you define the word hypocrite. You know, here's how many people define hypocrite. Uh, Jesus is perfect, and as a Christian, you're not perfect, therefore, you must be a hypocrite. In other words, if you follow Jesus, if you slip up in any way, uh, you're a hypocrite. That's how many people, especially people outside the church, define hypocrisy. And what it does is it creates this high expectation of perfection. Some people believe if you follow Jesus, you always behave perfectly. And do you know who feels this uh, expectation? Uh, Sometimes children of pastors uh, feel this expectation. I got three kids and when they were growing up, if they did something maybe a little edgy, I don't know, maybe it it was, uh, I don't know if it was appropriate or, or not. They might hear uh, somebody say, your dad is a pastor. You can't do that. Now, I don't know if other professions uh, deal with that. I don't know if the uh, accountant's child who buys something out of their price range, I don't think anybody really says anything. Or how about an engineer's child who builds a lame Lego tower? I don't think anybody goes, hey, your dad's an engineer. You got to do better uh, than that. Uh, But there's kind of an expectation of perfection for Christians, and and maybe you've experienced it. You know, uh, if you, you know, maybe you slipped up or or made a mistake, maybe you did something a little bit edgy, and somebody said to you, and you call yourself a Christian? Because some people think if you follow Jesus, you always behave perfectly, and so if you make any kind of a mistake, you must be a hypocrite. But thankfully, as we're going to see, that's not how Jesus defines hypocrisy. And you know what? I'm really glad because um, if you followed me around for a day, not even a day, for five minutes, you'd be really uh, disappointed. I mean, if you uh, drove with me in a car for five minutes and saw how I drive, uh, you would, <laughs> you'd probably question my spiritual uh, leadership. And I love my wife every day. I mean, 
I mean, I failed to be the husband that I'm supposed to be. I love my kids. You would see that, you know, you would see me being impatient and uh, selfish. I love this church. I struggle to live out my faith every single day. Now, I can give you a lot of examples. Uh, like the time I was driving uh, the church van. Um, uh, church van is full of, of people. I'm driving the church van. We go through a little town. I got pulled over and uh, got a ticket. And it really surprised people. You know, Pastor Ben uh, got a ticket. But it did not surprise my wife at all. <laughs> Yeah, just a couple weeks ago, I gave a message on why we get stuck in our faith, and I talked about how our phones can distract us. I held up my iPhone, and the next day, I'm having dinner with my daughter and her, uh, my, my son-in-law, and uh, I got distracted by my phone, and my daughter says, Dad, you just talked about this yesterday in your sermon. Guilty. Sometimes I don't do the things that I tell you to do. You know what is the hardest part about preaching? You know, it's not preparing, it's not standing up here. The hardest part is practicing what you preach. It really uh, is. And I wanted to make sure you know, I'm not up here because I've got this all uh, figured out. I mean, I fail, I fall short every day. Most days I pray and ask God for strength and help so that I can grow in my faith and become more like Jesus. But here's my point. If you have any standards of morality or uh, behavior, let alone the standards of Jesus, you're going to violate them from time to time. But does that make you a hypocrite? Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, seems to wrestle with that question in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I, what I hate. You, you ever find yourself feeling that way? You know, oh, I didn't want to say those harsh words, but I did. I didn't want to look at those images, but I did. I didn't want to drink that much, but I did. You ever, you ever feel a little out of control? Paul says, I don't even understand myself. I don't understand why it is I do things I don't want to do. I know what I should do. I know what I want to do. Sometimes I don't do it. Paul goes on. He repeats that idea in the next verse. He says, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. Now, let me personalize this verse, and maybe this will help it sink in a little bit more. <laughs> ben wants to do what's right, but he can't. Ben wants to do what is good, but he doesn't. Ben doesn't want to do what's wrong, but he does it anyway. But if Ben does what he doesn't want to do, Ben's not really the one doing it. It's sin living in Ben that does it. If you've ever wondered, you know, why it is I, I do things that I, I don't want to do, Paul's pinpointed the problem, and there it is right there. It's sin, and it lives in me, and it lives in you. Paul goes on in the next verse, and he, and he kind of wraps this up. He says, I love God's law with all my heart. So this isn't somebody saying, you know, oh, God's out to get me. God's up in the sky just trying to catch me doing something wrong. No, he loves God's law. He, Paul wants to obey God, but here's another power within me that's at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And he goes on and he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul pinpoints a gap that all of us deal with, all of us feel. And it's a gap 
between who Jesus is and who we are. And it's a gap between, you know, what I want to do and what I actually do. And all of us feel that gap. It's a gap between Jesus, who's perfect, we're not perfect. There's what I want to do, what I should do, and what I actually did. And that gap makes us miserable. Paul says, what a miserable man I am, because that gap steals our joy and causes shame and regret. And do you remember where Paul says the war takes place? He says this war takes place in our mind. And here's what will happen. You'll find yourself having these thoughts, thoughts, thoughts that go something like this. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I won't get caught. I'm 90% sure that nobody's going nobody's gonna to find out. I've, I've done this multiple, multiple times before, and I haven't gotten caught. And I've really, I've really had a tough week. It's been a really tough season. I deserve this. This other person hasn't treated me well. And we hear those thoughts and we give in to temptation and then what do our thoughts do all of a sudden our thoughts turn on us and our thoughts will go and you call yourself a christian you are such a hypocrite we don't even need other people to tell us our own thoughts say it to us and so here's the question i want to ask today how do we deal with this gap the gap between who jesus is and who we are, the gap between what I want to do, what I should do, and what I actually do. How do we deal with that gap in a way that doesn't lead to hypocrisy? Here's the first way. You acknowledge the gap because nothing pops the balloon of hypocrisy like honesty and transparency. You simply acknowledge the sin and struggle in your own life. I came across this letter. A little boy wrote a letter to God, and it got to the radio host Delilah, and the letter said, Dear God, you must have a hard time uh, loving every single person on the planet. There's only four people in my family, and I can never do it. That's an honest (laughs) confession right there. That's an honest Uh, little boy. Take a look at this verse from 1 John that's really written to all of us. If we claim we have no sin, uh, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all uh, wickedness. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we we fool ourselves. I've talked to people who have said, yeah, you know, I admit it. I'm not perfect. I admit it, I make mistakes, but they can't seem to own the fact that they are a sinner who needs a savior. But John says, if you'll acknowledge it, if you'll confess it, God forgives you and cleanses you. I love how David talks about this in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, uh, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The more you hide it, the more you keep it a secret, the more it will sap your strength. And maybe you find yourself feeling that way today. I mean, you just feel like, oh, my, my, my energy is, is down. Uh, you feel weak. Uh, something comes up. Uh, like maybe a relational conflict and you go, I don't even have the time to deal with this. I don't, even, I don't even have the energy to deal with this right now because your spirit is just so weighed down. But David says, if you'll just acknowledge it and confess it, that weight 
will come off you and you will be freed. I think we ought to have a sign on the door when you come into church. Uh, a sign that says, no perfect people allowed. Just to remind us of this truth about ourselves, that all of us have a gap in our lives. And I think there really should be a second sign at the door uh, to uh, the entrance uh, to church that says this right here. There is no perfect, uh, there's no perfect church because all of us are imperfect uh, people. And if you find the perfect church, I mean, don't go to it, you'll ruin it. Okay, and if you think River Glen is a perfect uh, church, uh, welcome. It's great to have you with us here this weekend. I'm guessing this is your first time uh, with us because River Glen is not a perfect uh, church. We are not perfect people. Sometimes people will look for the perfect church and they get kind of picky and they'll bounce around from church to church and they never really put their roots down. You know, they come to a church and I don't like the music. I don't like the way the musicians are dressed. I don't like that song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. The Holy Spirit knows he's welcome. We don't have to tell the Holy Spirit that he's uh, welcome. That's a dumb song. And, you know, the pastor wore a sweater. I got so distracted, I couldn't even hear what he was saying because of that sweater. An usher looked at me funny. A greeter wore a suit. Another greeter didn't wear a suit. I saw a woman wearing a Chicago Cubs uh, jersey. Now, that last one, that's legitimate, okay? The rest... <laughs> are picky, all right? Some people are looking for the perfect church and perfect Christians. And that's why some people will say uh, the church is full of hypocrites. And some people will go even further and they'll say, I don't want anything to do with organized religion. Have you heard people say that? I have. People will say something like, you know, I'm spiritual. I just don't want anything to do with organized uh, religion. When, when people say that uh, to me, you know what I tell them? I tell them, come to River Glen. We're not that organized. I mean, really, we, I think we could do better in that uh, area. But think, think about it. What's the opposite of organized? It's not spiritual. The opposite of organized is Disorganized. Can you imagine if church was unorganized? You know, what time's church start? Oh, we don't really have a start time, just whenever. What's your, where, where, where's your church located? No address. Just start driving. Hopefully you'll find us. Do, is anybody going to give a message? We, we didn't assign that uh, to, to anybody. I mean, that's what unorganized church would look like. My point is, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a building, you know, to meet. In the wintertime, nothing wrong with having someone assigned to give a message. Nothing wrong with having a staff person who's assigned to prepare a message to tell kids about Jesus in a safe and fun environment. Nothing wrong with, with uh, having worship leaders who are gifted musically that have a, a musical uh, a ability. But to, to get all of that, what do you need? Organization and buildings and finances and leaders and accountability, things that some people bristle at when it comes to organization. Now, I understand maybe some of us have had a, a negative uh, church experience in the past. Maybe you had a bad uh, church experience in the past. Maybe a church or a church leader offended you or uh, was rude or mean to you or maybe hurt your feelings in some way. And maybe you walked away from church and said, I'm done with church. And if that's you, if you're watching online, I, I mean, I want you to know I'm, my heart goes out to you. I am sorry that happened uh, to you. I, my heart grieves uh, for you, but I wanna encourage you. You know, maybe you had a bad, bad church experience in the past, 
But does that mean that all churches and all pastors are that way? No, you need to find the right church. The church is God's idea. He designed it for you. And God loves the church with its flaws and messiness. God loves the church like a good husband loves his bride. And God knows that when you find the right church, it's going to be awesome for you. It's going to be amazing uh, for you. And so if you had a negative church experience in the past, I want to invite you to come back. I really believe God wants to invite you to come back. And if you need some help uh, finding a church, uh, shoot me an email. I'd be glad uh, to help you. And for those of us already part of the church, let's remember the first step to overcoming hypocrisy is to acknowledge the gap in our, in our lives because nothing pops the balloon of hypocrisy like honesty and transparency and simply acknowledging the sin and struggles in our life. And so my hope for our church is that we would be slower to point the finger and assess blame and point out the sins and struggles of others. And we'd be quicker to point, uh, to point at our own sin and our own struggles. Uh, acknowledge the gap. Here's the second step. You close the gap. You acknowledge the gap and then close uh, the gap. Years ago, uh, the Honest Tea uh, Company did these experiments at the uh, 27 largest cities in the United uh, States where they put bottles of honest tea on a uh, table with a sign that said, uh, take one, one dollar, and next to that, a giving box where you could slip a dollar in it. But it was a social experiment to see who was honest and who wasn't. The most honest of the cities that they went to was Atlanta, Georgia. The city that they went to that did the worst, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was the only city where people not only took bottles of tea and they didn't didn't pay for it, uh, people were reaching into the box, the giving box, and grabbing money (laughs) um, out of it. Uh, Probably probably worked for the government, I don't know. Um, But here's my question for you. Are you the same person when nobody's looking or when you think nobody is, is, is looking? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses the word hypocrite 13 times. I want to show you a couple examples. Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Another verse, Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law. I mean, he's talking to, to, to spiritual leaders. He's talking to people who taught the scriptures. Uh, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. I want you to notice how Jesus defines hypocrisy. His, His definition is not, well, I'm perfect and you're not. And his definition is not, well, there's what you want to do, what you should do, and what you actually did. Here's how Jesus defines hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is who you are on the outside versus who you are on the inside. He defines hypocrisy as a person who looks great on the outside, polishing up the outside, but on the inside, they're full of sin. He sees hypocrisy as the gap between what you show and who you really, 
who you really are. It's um, interesting, the word Jesus used for hypocrite in the original language, it's the word hypocritus, um, which here's what that word literally means. It means mask uh, wearer, mask wearer. Now, um, I wanna be clear, this is pre-COVID, okay? Jesus is not making a prophecy <laughs> about uh, COVID. Uh, the word hypocrite, I mean, it literally means mask wearer, actor, role player. In other words, Jesus defines a hypocrite as a person who wears a mask. You know, they make, uh, they, they act one way around certain people and then another way around other people. And so when they're around Christian people, you know, it's a praise the Lord, you know, you know, uh, bless you. And then when they're around other people, it's, you know, F this, F that, different mask for different occasions. And uh, I've met people like this, you know, part-time Christians, you know, Christians for, you know, one day a week on Saturday or Sunday. And you might fool a lot of people, but probably not those closest to you. And I want to ask a question. And I, I don't ask this in a condemning way because I've got sin in my life and my family sees all of it. But I want to ask you, does your family see a genuine faith in you? Because you can fake it with a lot of people, but they're, they're going to see through it. Author Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. If you follow Jesus, people are watching you. Unbelievers are watching you. And they want to know, is it real? You know, when things are, are not going well in your life, when you're suffering, is it real? When everything's going well and you're successful, is it real? They want to, they want to know. They, they want to see us acknowledge the gap, not just polishing the outside, but acknowledging what's on the inside. How do we do that? Well, first, we confess it to God. And then second, confess it to one other person that you trust. I, I came across a story about a, uh, a woman, uh, who, not from this church, she attends a different church, and she went to this event at this other church where she uh, uh, attends. And they began the event with a uh, icebreaker activity to get people to mix and get to know one another, and she's an introvert, and so she was like, oh, this is my nightmare. But she went up to one of the worship leaders at the event, a woman who was helping lead the music, helping lead the worship at this event that she had not met before. And the, the worship leader asked her, do you like music? And she said, no, I can't carry a tune to save my life. The worship leader asked her, do you have kids? She said, no, I don't have any kids. And she said it started to feel awkward because they were struggling to find something uh, that they could talk about. So like as a last ditch effort, the worship leader said, are you married? And this woman was married, but her husband was in prison. But do you tell that to one of the worship leaders at your uh, church? So she, should, she decided to just take a risk. And she said, well, yes, I'm married, but my husband is incarcerated right now. And there was silence. And this worship leader stared at her for like 10 to 20 seconds. And then finally she looked at this woman and she said, my husband is in prison too. And she said, I've, I've, not told, I've not said that or told that to anybody at church because I was afraid of what other people would think. And these two women became close friends. 
And they started leading a Bible study for other women whose husbands are in prison. My point is, you can impress others or you can connect with others. Pastor Craig Groeschel says, you may, you may impress others with your strengths and, you know, we can spend a lot of time doing that, you know, polishing, you know, the outside of the cup. You can impress other people with your strengths, but you will connect with people, other people around your weaknesses. You'll connect with other people by acknowledging what's on the inside. You know, let me ask you, is there anything today that you're hiding? Is there anything in your life that, you know, you don't want anybody else uh, to know about? I'm telling you, if you would confess it <clears throat> to God, you would experience so much freedom in your life. You would experience uh, so much strength and energy in your life because shame doesn't grow in the light. Shame grows in the darkness. And my hope for our church is that we would be the kind of place where if you came and you were struggling with alcohol, that you would find hope and healing at a place like Celebrate Recovery on Monday night. Our our uh, support and addiction recovery ministry. If you, uh, my hope is that if you were uh, coming out of something painful, like a job loss, loss of a marriage, a divorce, and maybe you're, maybe, maybe you're angry and bitter, that's just what's on the inside of your cup, that you would meet with a Stephen minister and you wouldn't feel judged or ashamed. You would feel hope and you would be able to trust in God's plan for your life. It, my hope is that if you were sleeping around and having multiple partners, that you would come to our church and you would experience the love of Jesus. And that love of Jesus would fill you up so much that you would say, I've been looking for love in the wrong places. And you would want to begin to obey Jesus in that area of your life. But it starts by saying, you know what? I don't need to do so much of this. I don't need to project just the right image to others, but I need to acknowledge what's, what's in here and not just acknowledge what's in here, but start to scrub at it. You know, let me, let me ask you, uh, what's one way that you could scrub at the things on the inside of, of your cup this week? What's one way this week that you could become more like Jesus and start to scrub at the things on the inside of your heart. Jesus says, anybody who does that is not a hypocrite. Let me uh, pray for us and uh, let's, God, let's ask God to speak to us and give us wisdom about something in our life that we need to clean out from the inside. God, there may be some of us who the outside of our cup looks pretty good. But on the inside of the cup, we have a lot of pain and hurt, bitterness, anger, might be addictions, lust. We have some, some things inside our cup and we don't even know why we do it sometimes, but we do. God, I pray for the courage to acknowledge it and to confess it. And I pray for the wisdom to know how to scrub it. And God, thank you for being a God who loves us and forgives us and cleanses us and heals us. And how each of us holds on to that promise, knowing that our life will get better if we acknowledge it and confess it and scrub at it. And 
as scary as it might feel to talk to someone about it, our life will get better. We believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.